Welcome to this episode of the Essential Church Podcast, an ongoing conversation about some of the most important issues facing the local church today. I'm your host, Andrew Arndt, joined today by Glenn Packiam and Daniel Grothy. I want to talk today some about preaching, the art, the task, the love, and the longing of preaching. And I want to start with Daniel last fall, I think it was at some point, and correct me if I'm wrong, it seems like it was a Friday maybe before you were getting ready to preach. Yep. You put together this list of like 10 things I've learned yep. as a preacher and posted it on social media, and it caught a little bit of fire, yeah. uh, which was fun to see. I think that what you wrote here is pretty resonant with people. So mm-hmm. we've actually, we've got those 10 things, and they're on our website. So if you go to theessential.church under this particular podcast, you can download them, which I encourage you to do, or just look at them afterwards. But I want to talk some about the life of the preacher and what you've learned. So I'll just start by, because I think it'll be helpful to some of the pastors who are listening to us. So I just want to start by asking, like, where did this come from for you? Why on a Friday afternoon (laughs) did you feel the need to list these things out? Because preaching is simultaneously the most joyful and the most maddening work I could ever do. And all of us who preach have a little Jeremiah in our bones. Who am I? to say, I don't, I'm a man of stammering lips. I ain't got nothing today. And the life of the preacher, to me, it's with you all the time. It never turns off. You know, it's in a nine to five work. You lay in bed at night and you carry a burden. Again, you love carrying the burden, but sometimes the burden just crushes you. And so Friday, that Friday in particular, when I put this together was one of those Fridays where I thought, I'm gonna call in sick at five o'clock. Like I'm not going tonight because this is too much. I can't do it. I don't have anything. I don't think God's with me. I think he's gonna send me up there to embarrass myself publicly. No, I'm not doing this anymore. So I sat down and I thought, what is it about the internal life of the preacher that is so wonderful and invigorating and simultaneously so difficult? So I put these 10 things down and it, it did catch a little bit. It did. So I want to ask you in the feedback that you got from people, were there certain ones that you listed here? And you've got things, and we'll talk about some of the individual pieces here. Mostly what you wrote was around the process of prayer and preparation, discernment. How does a sermon come about? Some was about the life of the preacher, and then some of it was kind of about our expectations in preaching, which are they're just great comments. But in your feedback that you got from people, were there certain ones on here that you felt like most resonated with people? Yeah, the initial ones about the life of the preacher being a life of prayer. Really, I think it's one of those things that academically, on paper, we would all say, well, of course. But if one has to get jettisoned in a busy week, if the screws are getting tightened internally and you're starting to fall apart, what you do is typically white knuckle it. You grab a pen and a paper and you start trying to crank content out and you forget that prayer is probably your best play. So for me, I heard so much from people that, oh, the simplicity of your internal life, that if you don't live before the Lord and pray this sermon into existence, you're just going to be doing your best to throw out some catchy content. A sermon has to be prayed into existence is what I've learned. And people were thankful for the reminder. Mm-hmm. At the risk of, you know, the old saying is, uh, it's like sausage in the law. If you love and respect it, don't watch it be made kind of thing. <laughs> um, at the risk of maybe exposing a piece of the preaching process that maybe shouldn't be seen, but I think it should be. Not all of our listeners are preachers, obviously. So mm-hmm. just lay folks that in, enjoy good preaching, sit under some of our preaching. So take us into your prayer life for a second around a sermon. Like, Mm -hmm. what are you praying over? What does that look like for you? It's faces, themes, 
talk to us about that for a second. Yeah, I've learned that there's a difference between exegeting a text and discerning what the Spirit wants to do in this moment with these people right here and right now. And so I start the week off with the text and very often I'll print it off on a white piece of paper, Word doc. Psalm 84 was last week. And I carry that around in my pocket during the week. So I'm sitting at the DMV for 15 minutes. I pull it out, I look at it. I'm sitting you know, at a soccer practice, I pull it out. I'm, so I'm always wanting to keep that text in front of me, but I'm always saying, Lord, who is this for? And how have I seen this lived and yep. enfleshed with these people? So, and what hospital visit did I just make that Psalm 84 was obviously meant for? And what about these moms out there who are just slugging away with their kids in total anonymity? And so I'm always thinking, about how is this going to land on the ground with these people? And I think very often we want to grab our commentaries and we wanna parse and we wanna be smart. We think we're preaching for the academy or something, but really we're preaching for these people. And I remember J.B. Phillips with his translation of the scriptures, he said, I want to translate a Bible that the plowboy can read. Man, that's good. And so as a preacher, I'm thinking, yeah, I need to do my homework. I need to exegete and make sure that I'm being precise. But I'm always thinking about spirit of God. What is the pulse yes. with, with this moment, with these people, with my heart? Can you sync all of those up? Will you tune my heart, Lord, to this moment? That was one of my favorite things that you listed here was number three, for those that are following along, that there's a difference between exegeting a text and discerning what the spirit wants to do. Just because I think I know what the text is trying to say, it doesn't mean I've tapped into what the spirit is saying or doing. It, it reminds me a bit of... I think it's a saying by Martin Luther. Martin Luther said that the preaching of the word of God is the word of God. Yeah, he just saw that there was this overflow of the word into the lives of people, but that there's a reason that comes from someplace. There's a reason that we don't just stand up and read a commentary right. on Psalm 84, which right. would be a great explanation. We'd probably have pithy moments. It has not yet intersected with the life of the congregation. And I'm gonna, this is a question I'm gonna pose for both of you. I think that a lot of preachers kind of fall down on this part of the sermon because that intersection point, they just think as it's filler. First of all, those stories and illustrations, the concrete places where it connects with the life of people, not only does it make the sermon sticky in the lives of people and the minds and hearts of people, but it's also saying something powerful about you as a preacher and how we see this whole thing kind of working. So talk to us about that for a second, well, it, that it, intersection it, piece. It is what makes guest speaking so difficult and so different than actually preaching. Because when you speak to your congregation, what should have happened is you should have been living life with these people. And Daniel, I, you do this better than anyone I've seen. Your week is immersed in the life of the people. And so there's no disconnect for you between your life with them at the coffee shop or wherever, and you're preaching to them in the pulpit. And I think this is how it should be. It reminds me of that Eugene Peterson thing of part of his sermon prep, you know, he said was walking the neighborhood. And we've got to take that seriously. Honestly, I've, we've all heard so many bad sermons where it's just a well put together talk yep. that had a cute story and a this and that, but there was no human connection, no sense that someone was opening up their soul to you and that others had opened up their soul to him. You know, this is not a human I'm talking to. At the risk of being a little too technical here, I, I actually think that there's a philosophical issue for some of the preachers here. Sometimes what we think is, well, the Bible is describing some other world, some other spiritual world, and then there's life, and we use life to illustrate this other world. But I think that the scripture is describing 
life as it truly is yes. under the reign of God in Christ, which means for me, this is in my years as a preacher, I, one of my convictions is if I haven't done the hard work of thinking about where this is touching me now or where I've experienced this and where this is happening in the lives of my people now, I actually haven't done the work of preaching at all. I haven't let the text describe how this is now a description of the reign of God in Christ. How does the word become flesh in this moment? And that's what you're saying, Daniel, not only in your heart, but for these people and not just for these people, but for these people on this night, you Mm -hmm. know, in this moment, in this morning. And, And you're right, Andrew, it is related to how we view the Bible and the word of God. Because if we think that the incarnation was just, wow, God just changed up his game plan and decided to actually let the word become flesh, you've you've not been paying attention to the story, that God's self-disclosure, God's self-revelation happens in the midst of messy lives and broken families and all of this stuff. And so absolutely one of the best things we can do is part of our prayerful paying attention to the holiness of people's lives. I'm always asking myself and the Lord, Lord, what are the stories for this week? Where are you moving and what do you want to give me that's going to unlock a world for people, because I can hope that people will care about the word like I do, and I hope they'll do their homework. And the reality is most people are coming to church. Maybe they've had a little scripture in them that week, but they've just been working their butts off and they've been raising kids and they've been, and they're not thinking about it like this. So a story has a way of sort of sneaking behind the defense mechanisms. And if Jesus is the consummate storyteller, then it's okay for us. Mm -hmm. To what shall I liken the kingdom of God? Well, you know, there was this farmer one day that I heard about who was out in his field, and then there was this pearl, and then there was this coin, and then one day I heard about, what in the world is Jesus doing? He's he's sneaking behind them. Uh, Eugene Peterson talks about them as truth bombs, parables being these truth bombs that he scatters down alongside people along the road, and he walks off. Right. And he leaves them to themselves. And three days later, the story that has nestled its way into this person's being explodes on them and they go, oh my God, that's what he meant. And so for me, I think we are storied humans and we will understand through story. So let's let that work for us and not feel like it's extra. Daniel, I love on number nine here, you write a note to yourself on the top of your sermon notes. God is with us. These are my friends. I love them and they trust me. I mean, I just love that. You know, you know what it reminds me of though? It makes me think so much of the intimacy of Paul's letters. Yeah. You know, these are not public broadcasts yes. as we're doing right now. Right. These are intimate conversations with friends. With yes, they who are. Know one another. And I was watching the other night, comedians in cars getting coffee. Yeah, so yeah. this is going somewhere. Hang with me, people. Jerry Seinfeld picks up Kimmel. Uh, no. Uh, Hang on. Somebody funny. Fallon. (laughs) Fallon. He picks up Fallon. Fallon. Jimmy Fallon. And they're together. And these are two of the most brilliant guys on the planet. And they crush it. They can hold a room. And listening to those guys talk about the moment before the curtain opens and the self-doubt and the fear and the, oh, gosh, what am I doing? I'm stupid. This is going to fail. I'm never... It just... It comforted me. All of us have been called to proclaim this word, but very often this moment of self-doubt arises. I've got nothing. What? Who am I? Who am I? So to write myself a note at the top of my notes and say, hey, take a deep breath. 
breathe. These are your friends. This is not a performance. This is not about your power or your creativity or your wittiness. This is about the spirit of God. So just go up there and open your mouth and let yes. the spirit do this. There's, it settles me. There's an element of trust, a deep element of trust that you have to have that you've done your work that week as the preacher and what you're carrying in your hands is what God has designed for that people. And I remember a, a couple that we, uh, they were kind of a mentor couple for us back in Denver and they would sit under my preaching here and there. And they said to me, you know, you have the raw talent enough to fill up this room with content and with noise and sound. But they said, would you just shift your gears a little bit and start thinking of your message more like people clustered around you sharing the bread that God's given you this week and it'll do something to them. And it was, that was an important moment for me of going, Lord, okay, so what you have put in my hands this week, it doesn't feel like much, but apparently Lord Jesus, in your hands, you can take it and lift it up and bless your father and break it and give it. And it'll do more than I ever could have done with it. There is this profound element of mystery that yep. I feel like not enough preachers appreciate. And so we fill in the mystery with our talent or our expertise or more stories or yep. more content or whatever. It becomes an anxious space. That's why number 10 in my list is, I've learned that God cares more about these people hearing his word than I ever could. He has more skin in the game than I do. This work is ultimately yes. his to perform. So trust the spirit to do the heavy lifting. I remember a Saturday night before I was preaching on a Sunday a couple of years ago, and I was just, just spinning out and anxious and you know, like tearing up my notes. And my wife, poor lady, she has to put up with me. I'm laying in bed and she's right next to me. And she said, hey, why don't you put your notes down? And I said, no, I gotta, I gotta memorize this and put your notes down. So I set my notes down. She said, lay back on the pillow. I laid back on the pillow. She put her hand over on my forehead and she said, Father, I pray you would help Daniel know that you care more about this than he does. Amen. And she rolled over and fell asleep. And I thought, isn't it that simple? Yes. Isn't this his job to speak to his people? Okay. And I went to sleep. We've talked about this. Um, one of my favorite passages out of Isaiah. It's like a if I ever have like a a picture that somebody makes for me or something artistic that captures my heart as a preacher. It's this verse that says, "Who is blind like my servant and deaf like the messenger I send?" You have no idea. And I think about some of the sermons I've done where I thought, "Oh, I crushed this." I mean, this was and an nothing amazing. happened. And nothing happens. <laughs> I don't get any feedback from people. I felt good about it. And then there are sermons that I just thought that was. A homiletical disaster is what that was. And I'll get emails from people for months and months and months. You have no idea how that ministered to me. I go, okay, Lord, I actually don't get this at all. And maybe that's a good thing. I think a couple of the insights you've provided, Daniel, provoke some thoughts for me. One is that it's very important for people not to mishear this as, oh, well, I don't need to study or I don't need... To. In fact, you as an athlete, I think you've internalized something that every athlete knows, which is you put in all the hours in the gym. You do the shooting free throws after practice for you know an extra 20 minutes every day so, so that... that at game time, you can play loose. And you always hear these pro athletes say, oh, we were just playing backyard football out there. No, you, no, weren't. you weren't. Like you guys have worked on routes and timings like perfect so that you could scramble when the play breaks down. That's right. I heard a great preacher one time say, uh, someone asked him, how long does it take you to write a sermon? And he said, uh, about five hours plus 40 years. <laughs> it, it's, it's your whole life being brought to this moment. I'll say this, I think for me at least, and this may resonate with some of you preachers out there, for me, before I preach, the thing that I must do is I got to quiet the space. I have to put away all my notes. I got to turn off the lights. I go to my basement. I light a candle and I say, come Holy Spirit, 
come Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit. My body is, I got energy shooting through my body. I have to settle it down. Clear the mechanism. Clear the mechanism. I have to lay up flat on my back, breathe in my nostrils and exhale out my mouth and just sit in it and let the Spirit quiet me. Because if I go up there with all that anxious energy and I haven't quieted myself, something's not right. So I think there's an element of once you've done all your work, put it to the side, put yourself before the Lord and sit in his presence and let him give you that extra that only he can give you. I love it so much because I think of the story of the first Super Bowl Tom Brady played in. And I hate the Patriots, and I can't stand Tom Brady. <laughs> but I do like this story. You know, he's in his 20s, whatever. He's the backup for Drew Bledsoe. And he takes a nap before the Super Bowl. And he does because it's the effort to say, we're going to calm everything down here. We're going to be clear. We're going to be cool. The, the other thing some of your thoughts remind me of or provoking me, Daniel, is just how important it is for each of us to understand our own process. In what way does the Holy Spirit create through the way that he has made us? Yes. You know? Yes. How does God meet us in the way that he has made us? And so you and I have talked about different things. You have to get active. You got to go on a run or a walk the night before me. No, it's the exact Mm -hmm. opposite, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. But it's important, I think, for people to figure that out. Know thyself. I love that. So let's shift gears here with the last few minutes that we have uh, talking about the life of the preacher for a second. It's not just about developing sermons, but this, it grows up out of a soil. So what do you guys do? What are the most important elements of tending the soil of your life as a preacher? that helps keep your preaching in a place that's fresh and good. And Daniel, you've drawn attention to a couple of things, the exercise and taking your vacation days, you know, taking time off of preaching. But what are the most important things for you? How do you manage the soil? If you don't have relationships right, it's hard to live as a preacher. You can only fake it for so long. So I think if there's something, Jesus, if you come to give a gift at the altar and there you discover that you have ought against your brother, put it down, don't preach. Walk away and make it right, or at least try like to live in wholesome relationship. If I'm being a terror at home, if my angst as a preacher is bleeding out on my family, and then I try to go up and stand in the power of the Spirit, I have nothing. So I regularly find myself on those days where I'm sort of just nervous and freaking out. I'll go kneel before my kids often and say, look at me, I'm sorry. I apologize. Please forgive me. Daddy's letting his work ruin our environment here, and I apologize, and I'm going to do better. Help me. And so when I can just keep my relationships wholesome and right and keep short accounts with people, I'm ready to preach. I think you mentioned earlier for me, exercise matters, releasing those endorphins. Like my mind is so busy. Yeah. Exercise, what it does is it makes my busy mind get quiet for a bit because I'm pounding my body. And so it gives me that freedom, that space. So that right there, relationships and, and keeping my body in tune matters. I love that. I, amen, amen, amen. And I would just say, in addition to that, is just kind of uh, do the work to become emotionally healthy. Don't be the kind of person that is the Jekyll and Hyde preacher. You know, all your best emotions are... If your deepest vulnerability is happening in a sermon, that's not good. If you're saying things and crying and it's so dramatic, you know, and you're... And, but, but when you talk to people, you don't actually have friends, you don't socialize, you don't have... That's not real. So be a real human being. Be fully human in this. And the healthier you become in your relationships, the better you get at loving, the better you get at preaching. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Essential Church Podcast. Our goal is always to strengthen and provoke the thinking of church and ministry leaders. And so if you found this or any episode helpful to you, please go to iTunes and leave us a review. 
Your reviews help leaders just like you find our podcast. And if you have any comments or suggestions on people or topics you'd like for us to cover, be sure to let us know via social media. And of course, please do share this and other episodes you find helpful around the web. Grace, mercy, and peace be with you.